By the way, I'm just getting over um, some sort of malady, and uh, I, I may cough, and it's a real long, kind of drawn-out, emphysmatic type of cough. Um, so just a heads up on that. I'm not dying. I'm just living abrasively uh, with that cough. So just a heads up in case I do that. I'll, I'm going to be fine. It just, it'll be a second or two. All right, so we're in Hebrews uh, chapter 3. We're going to be talking in verses uh, 1 through 6. I'm going to go ahead and read them, and then we're going to see if we can get them unpacked a little bit. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Starting in uh, verse 1 of Hebrews 3. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Uh, So the first question, I was reading through this this week, um, trying to get prepared. And the first question I had was, uh, what is Moses doing in here? Uh, we haven't seen Moses for a while. Uh, he's a pretty strong character in the start of the Old Testament. And then there's a pretty good lag, and we don't hear from Moses very much. So the question is, what is Moses doing here? And so to figure that out, let's try this. Um, does anybody recognize this guy up here? Moses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not, not all that familiar? Nobody? Okay. How about this guy? Yeah, Babe Ruth, right? Okay, so we got him. We're, we're one for two. We could, well, I'll give you credit for Moses, so you're two for three. Okay, so let's go back to the other guy again. What if I told you this guy was the Russian Babe Ruth? Is that more information? Now you have a little bit of an idea of who he is, right? That gives you a little bit of of a context of who he might be. If I told you that he was the Russian Babe Ruth, we can make some assumptions about him. He's probably a baseball player. The bat gives him away. Um, If he's a Russian Babe Ruth, he's probably a power hitter. And he's likely a drunk, if we're going to go further with the uh, Babe Ruth problem. Okay, if I told you this same guy was better than Babe Ruth... It helps even more. It provides some clarity, okay? You started with Babe Ruth, and we know a little bit of something about Babe Ruth. He's a home run king. He was on a bunch of World Series teams. He has his own candy bar. These are things that we know about Babe Ruth. And I say, this guy is better. And now you know. If you see this guy on the street, shake his hand. He does good work. So what does this drunk Russian Babe Ruth have to do with Moses? Just like Moses, Babe Ruth is our reference point for this guy, right? It's a place to start. If you're going to try to describe somebody and try to put them in the context of something, you need to give them an example of where they're beginning. Moses, in this example, or in Hebrews, in chapter 3 Hebrews, is going to be our example. He's our reference point. Although the letters addressed to the Hebrew believers in Jesus, they seem to be struggling what exactly to do with him. Where does he fit? Uh, They are both the pre- and post-Jesus group of of folks, okay? They were there before him, now they're there after him, and and they they obviously understand that the the letter is written to the extent that these people are are, are believing in Jesus, but but they're having problems with where exactly to put him in their beliefs and where to put them um, in what they know. So we find in the first few chapters so far that the author of Hebrews is using kind of these Old Testament heavies as reference point for Jesus, Okay, in chapters 1 and 2, uh, we saw that it was the angels uh, in the Old Testament. The old t- um, angels are, they're beating up people, they're carrying messages, they're a big deal. Okay? Uh, so going with what they already know about angels, the author of Hebrews tells us that uh, in Hebrews 1.4 that Jesus is superior to the angels and his name is more excellent than theirs. In Hebrews 1.6, we're told that God's angels worship him. And in verse 7 and 8, we see Christ as the ruler of the kingdom while angels are just messengers of the kingdom. Jesus is a big deal. Okay, and the author of Hebrews in this third chapter is using Moses to enhance our understanding of Jesus. 
Let's look at the scripture again. It says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. The big deal here is, is that he's concerned we're going to miss it. He's concerned that we're going to mistake the bellboy for the guy that owns the hotel. Okay? On his own, though, Moses is no bellboy. He's a pretty good reference point. He was the son of Hebrew slaves. He was a great hero of the Jewish nation. He was chosen by God to lead the nation of Israel out of the Egyptian bondage. Uh, we, we get pictures of him in Exodus. His face is literally shining for having been in the presence of God. Okay? He was the prophet through whom God has given the, the, the law, and perhaps the greatest prophet of all. And he was considered by many of the ancient rabbis to be the greatest man ever. And that could be. But he's no Jesus. Okay? We're told that Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. I, I like how he set this up here. He, he's basically saying, give me the greatest man you have. Okay? Give me, give me the, the best guy. You're, you're Scott Baio. Okay? You're, you're Moses. You're, you're warriors. You're princes. You're kings. You're presidents. Give me the, choose the best guy that you've got, and I'll give you Jesus, and he's better. Okay? The start of verse 5 tells us that Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what uh, would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. Moses is a servant in the house of God, and he's a great one, but he's not Jesus, who's the creator of the house. It says, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Uh, does anybody know who owns um, the Frank Lloyd Wright house in Iowa? Does anybody know who that is? Yeah, I don't either. I don't, I don't care who owns it, right? It's called the Frank Lloyd Wright house, like we refer to it that way, because that's the guy that created it. That's the important part, okay? The guy that owns it now is just kind of keeping track of it. The creator. Um, the creation points to the creator. And that's the relationship that we can't miss here. Okay? Moses points us to Jesus. Okay? Moses points us to Jesus. It's an important connection. It's part of a very broad point that the entire letter to the Hebrews is making. Um, the New Testament is about what? Jesus. Okay? The Old Testament is about Jesus. The Old Testament is also about Jesus. It's helpful and important to understand Moses because through that we can more fully understand Jesus. And this is true for a lot of things that we read about in the Old Testament. For example, we need to understand the role of the Old Testament high priest so that when they talk about Jesus as the high priest, we can understand fully that Jesus is now how we can approach God the Father. Have you seen a high priest lately? There are no more. Jesus has replaced them. They're gone. Okay? We need to understand what the previous role of the high priest was so that we can understand what Jesus replaced and became. We need to understand the role of the Old Testament prophets so we can recognize the authority of the prophecy of Jesus. A lot of the prophets in the Old Testament, we hear them saying, thus saith the Lord. Okay? Here, this is what God says. And that's because they're just, they're just working as a, as a messenger for God. God's given them information. They're passing on and said, blah, 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 thus saith the Lord. Okay? But how does Jesus talk? Jesus said, I tell you the truth. I am the way and the truth and the life. Okay? Look at the authority that Jesus is speaking with. We see the power of Jesus through that comparison. We know how the, the Old Testament prophets spoke. And then we can see how Jesus spoke. And we understand Jesus more. Okay? We under, understand Jesus as the great prophet with that distinction. In the book of John, 50 times Jesus said, I tell you. I tell you. Okay? This is, it's, he is God. Okay? That comparison helps us understand Jesus more. We also need to understand the Old Testament law. Uh, and we need this so we can recognize how far we are from God's standard and how much we need 
Jesus. Uh, Dan spoke a few weeks back, and he was talking about um, spiritual drifting, right? And the example he gave was, uh, when he was younger, he would uh, sit in this inner tube on uh, some kind of body of water, and he would see a tree, and he would close his eyes, and he would kind of float away. And you keep your eyes closed as long as you can, and you open up, and you see how far you've, you've drifted, right? <coughs> Excuse me. So the, big, the key to that story is the tree. The tree is the landmark, right? If that tree is not there, and there's not a landmark there, you don't even know how far you've drifted because you didn't know where you started to begin with, okay? That law exists to help us know how far we've gone, okay? It's the landmark, how much grace we need. Um, look at the time that is taken in the first part of Hebrews that we've looked at so far in our series to show us, here's the thing that you're looking at that held high esteem with God. Angels, high priests, Moses, the law. But Jesus is that and more. He's bigger. And all those things point to him, Okay? Notice Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, he says, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. We need to make sure that we're not looking, the distinction between Old and New Testament sometimes is misleading. We think of it as part one, fail, then part two. That's not what it is, okay? God didn't mess it up the first time and have to send Jesus to correct it. This is God we're talking about, okay? He didn't screw it up. He laid out a map and a context so that we would understand Jesus when he got here, okay? That's what it's for. We gain, we gain greater understanding of Jesus by knowing where that came from. And this is important. The author Hebrews is trying to help us bridge the gap. Now think of his original audience. For these folks, he wants to help them understand Jesus in connection with their lives and the rituals that they had prior to Jesus. <coughs> we are kind of a disadvantage here, right? Because they were at least living it. They had it to live, and then they could see what happened afterward and, and get the connection. We have to go back and study that connection. And unfortunately, that's a part we sometimes miss. Okay? We can look at the Old Testament, and if we miss Jesus, we've missed it. Okay? We've missed it. One of the connections that we need to focus on is, is the Old Testament system of sacrifice and how it pointed to Jesus. And to do that, we kind of need to understand a little bit the sacrificial system. There's, there's a ton um, about this. It's, kind of a, it's a bit of a laborious read in your first uh, two or three books of the Old Testament. Um, but let's, let's see if we can understand the system a little bit. So <clears throat> the first thing you'd have to do um, to provide a sacrifice is you'd have to find an unblemished animal. The unblemished part is important. Okay? You can't bring your three-legged goat with the bulbous calcium neck deposit. It's gamey. There's flies all over it. That's not going to work. Okay? Unblemished animal. Okay? It's got to be a perfect sacrifice. And you need to realize what's going to happen to this animal. You're basically choosing something to, in effect, pass your sin onto. That animal is going to die for what you have done. Think about that just a minute, right? Think of a, well, I mean, there were specifics, right? But uh, think of the dog at your house or a sheep or a cow you see out sitting in the field or the bull, okay? And you look at that animal and you say, today, that is going to die because of something that I've done, okay? Um, you couldn't bring a newborn, right? So you've had it for a year. You've probably been feeding it. Your kids probably named the thing, call it something behind your back, okay? It's gotten real close to it. You probably got a bunch because you're not a perfect guy. It's gonna, you're going to have to be sacrificing a number of them, Okay? You're going to have to grab it, put the rope around it, drag it up to the temple. It's dying today for what you've done. That's the basic nature of the sacrifice. So you'd bring the animal to the temple of the priest, uh, and, and the priest would be there. And then, um, generally, you'd, you'd bring the animal up, and you kind of put your hands on it, and you kneel down next to it. And um, you'd start publicly declaring your sin, okay? In effect, passing whatever it is you've done onto this animal. You're holding the, you're holding the, the, the lamb, and you're saying, you know, I committed adultery this week. Uh, and last week, and twice the week before. Okay, um, I, I've been I've used bad language. I you know I kicked my kids. Whatever. Okay, whatever you're up to, 
Okay, you're passing that on to this animal. And depending on who you are, this may take a while. Okay, you're going to be there all day. And it's going to be rough, right? You're clinging to this animal that's just about to die for you. Okay, talking about everything you've done wrong. Okay, um, you obviously have a reverence for God. That's why you're going bothering with the, with the system. Um, and this is probably beating you up. You're reliving your past, your problems, the things that you've done that are requiring this action. Okay, and it's not an easy experience. I mean, imagine having to publicly declare your sin. And, and bring the evidence with you as you go every time you've got a problem. Okay? And then the animal would be taken and sacrificed. So the priest would grab it and it would slit its throat, right? And it would bleed out everywhere. And you'd be sitting there watching that, this animal that we talked about that your kids probably named that you drug up there. And it would be bleeding and would probably be making noises and squealing and kicking. Okay? And that's rough. That's rough. You're watching that. And it probably occurs to you again that that animal would have been still sitting in the field, eating the grass, doing just fine. Except for you decided you were going to take it, kneel down, put your hand on it, give your sin to it. And then it was sacrificed. You'd feel horrible, hopefully. The weight of your sin and the consequence of it is sitting there right in front of you. And you'd be doing this over and over and over again as a consequence to that sin. Now, this entire operation points us to the sacrifice that Jesus makes on the cross. We see the old system, and now we see Jesus, and He has become the sacrifice. Blood is still required. Blood has always been required. It says in Ezekiel that uh, the blood is the life, and the wages of sin are death. Okay? Blood is going to have to be spilled. Except it's Jesus' blood that's shed for us now. He takes on our sin that we committed, and He dies the death that we deserved, so that we can be spared. Uh, John one twenty nine says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Just like we see Moses and need to understand how he points to Jesus. In the light of the Old Testament sacrifice system, we can more fully understand what was done for us on the cross. The sacrifice has been made. And what did Jesus say? He said, it is finished. So, we need to understand the weight of that. We need to understand the impact of our sin. The depth and how offensive it is to God. That's important. Okay? It's important because we need that to understand how much grace that we have been given. Okay? Whatever it is that you've done, whatever it is that you're having to give to God, His grace is that plus one. Always. It's always sufficient. Okay? The thing is, is it's already been done. Right? The sacrifice has already been made. The one thing that we are required to do is live like it. We need to act like the sacrifice has been made. Okay? At the end of verse 6 in our, in our section of Hebrews, it says, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. We need to live forgiven. Okay? It's done. It's over. It is finished. Okay? We still repent, and we pass our failure on to someone else to pay the price. That's Jesus. But once it's done, it's done. Jesus paid for it. There's nothing else to pay. Okay? That's good news. But we need to make sure that we're acting like it. I don't know if this ever happened to you. You, you, have, um, you have some sin in your life, and you, and, and you feel really bad about it, and, you, and you, you pray to God, and you say, look, you just take this from me. You know, your strength, take over mine, uh, so that I can live how you want me to live, and you pray on it. And then you go to sleep, and you wake up the next morning, and that sin is still clouding you. It's still hovering over your mind. It's still laying on your heart. And you're acting as if that sin is still a part of you. Okay? That's a, that's a problem. We're not living forgiven. It's done. In effect, what we're doing is if you give your 
If you give your sin to Jesus, and we say, Lord, I know that you died on the cross for this sin of mine, but then you let it continue to cloud over your life, you're in effect running him down before he gets, gets, of course, the cross gets up. He's carrying the cross up the hill, and you're trying to take your sin back from him. Here, Lord, take it. Oh, by the way, just give it back to me. I want to wear it for a little bit longer. Okay? Don't take your sin back from him. Don't wear it when you don't need to wear it. That's what the sacrifice was for. Um, <clears throat> sometimes I think we feel like we need to feel bad longer about it. And we need to know the depth of our sin. That's important. Okay? And we need to know the impact of that sin and what was had to be done to pay for it. Okay? But feeling, continuing to feel guilty and live under the weight of that sin is ignoring everything that Christ did. Okay? Feeling guilty longer is kind of like your sacrifice to God. Lord, I, I'm just going to wallow under this for a while and kind of sacrifice myself. Newsflash, you're not a worthy sacrifice. You're the goat, the three-legged goat with the bulbous thing and then gamey and the flies. That's you, okay? You're not a worthy sacrifice. That's why he had to send somebody else. So stop sacrificing yourself. If you repented of your sin and you gave it to Christ who already died on the cross for it, we need to live forgiven, okay? We don't need to regress. We need to walk with God. The same thing is that when I was growing up, um, I remember my grandpa, he used to always get out of the car. And boy, he would just, wherever he's going, he would get out and go. And, and he would leave my, my grandma and me and my mom and whoever else was with him like 20 or 30 feet behind. Okay? We'd be checking on folks, seeing if they're uh, still getting out of the car, right? Everything's unbuckled. Did you bring the bag? Did you bring the waters? Everybody have anything they're supposed to have? And my grandpa just, he's on his way out. Okay? He always did that. <laughs> I think my grandma did not like that. Um, but the thing is, for some reason that popped into my mind this week when I was thinking about walking with God, uh, God's kind of my grandpa. He's, he's a going and we're lagging. We're waiting to check, check out. Are things all right? Do, do we have everything? How are things going? We're not called to skulk behind and wallow in our sin so that God looks back and goes, hey, is everything all right back there? He already knows. Okay. Once you've given up, here's the deal. We were created in the image of the Almighty God. That's you. And then sin has racked your mind and ruined your body and scarred your heart. But Christ has paid for that and you're back again. Okay? And we need, to, we need to act like that. We need to live forgiven. Jesus has paid the price. We shouldn't be living under the weight of sin any longer. It's important for us to have the perspective of what Jesus replaced so that we can know how much we've been forgiven of the depth of the grace that has been provided to us, but also so that we can move on from that point and don't go back, okay? Don't steal your sin back off the back of Jesus Christ on his way up. He's already taken it. You've got to let him have it. Two things you need to remember today. If you've repented of your sin to Jesus, we need to know, first of all, we need to know the depths of what that was. We need to know what had to been done to pay it, okay? That blood is it's a nasty mess. That's a huge sacrifice, but it was necessary. But we need to recognize the depth of our sin and how offensive it is to God so that we can understand the totality of the grace that we've been provided. And we need to live positively underneath that grace. Okay? Don't leave here with the weight of sin on you that you've already given away. You're stealing it back. Don't do that. Don't do that. You've already given it to him. Uh, it's already been forgiven, so I can only imagine that Jesus is looking down at you and going, what is he doing? What is he doing? Okay? 
don't step out of here under the weight of something that God has already forgiven. Okay, it's done. If you have that weight and you haven't repented of it, today's the day. Today's the day. Okay, there's no reason to walk with that burden. It's already been paid. All you have to do is agree to it. All you have to do is agree to pass it on, to kneel down next to Jesus and pass it on. Okay, there isn't a reason to continue walking without that. Uh, I'm going to pray for you today. um, But it's just something to, to focus on this week. And make sure that your life and your walk is not being clouded by something that's already done. Okay? And if you haven't taken the step to repent of it, take the step. Take the step. Don't live heavy. Live forgiven. Let's pray.